Hello and welcome to Actuarial People with myself, James Turner. I'm excited to be launching a brand new podcast where each week I'll be speaking with the UK actuary. My aim is to give you, the listener, greater insight into the people behind the profession and their personal career journeys. So we'll cover things like why and how they became an actuary, what they do on a day-to-day basis, how they balance work and study with life, any specialisms they've developed, and how their role has evolved over time. So whether you're an actuary yourself, or you're aspiring to become one in the future, welcome and enjoy. Welcome to Actuarial People, Julie West. Hi, nice to be here. Hi, thanks very much for, for taking the time. How are you? Good, thank you. You? Yeah, very good. Very good. I wondered if we could just start by giving the listeners a, a brief overview of who you are and what you do today, and then we'll go back to the beginning and work from there. Sure. Yeah, I'm Julie West. I am a partner in our public sector team at Hyman Robertson. Um, so I've got responsibility for looking after some of our client base, um, and I've also got some internal responsibilities looking after our people and our um, processes and overall uh, responsibility for our service delivery. Um, so I've got quite a, a varied role these days. Fantastic. Well, I'll start where I always do, which is to ask you to cast your mind back. And could you tell us about how you first discovered that the actuarial profession existed? Yeah, um, it was probably a little bit by chance. I was doing a PhD um, in a completely unrelated area. Um, It was a mixture of maths and computer science and biology. I was coming towards the end of that um, and I knew that I didn't want to stay in academia anymore. I kind of had done my time um, with that Um, and was just really exploring a local careers fair and um, got talking to a few actuarial consultants there. I was kind of immediately attracted to the thought of the kind of practical application of the maths so um you were get, I was getting to do something that I really enjoyed doing on the kind of mathematical and technical side but it actually had a real world meaning um but it was particularly drawn to the consulting side and um, so not long after that I applied for Hyman's Robertson's graduate scheme um and I've been there ever since the actuaries that you met, did they work for Hyman's Robertson or? No, they didn't actually. Uh, no, <laughs> um, it was a competitor. Um, but um, it was it was Hyman's um, graduate scheme that I found when I was looking. Why did you join Hyman's? Um, I just I liked the people. I liked the feeling I got from the graduate assessment day. Um, I wasn't kind of because I was sort of in still in the sort of end stages of my PhD I wasn't kind of fully absorbed in this like job search market Um, it was more uh, oh I've seen this firm that I like and applied and was fortunate enough to to get the job yeah and so is the consulting side that appealed was it was it pensions as well or yeah yeah okay why why pensions yeah it just it, it felt kind of quite real um the thought of taking the I guess I'd had by that point kind of three years of being really um, sort of stuck in a room focused on a project that mattered only to me. Um, it was it was quite isolated um, and very, you know, this very niche area of, of, um, of one piece of science. The thought of taking um, the sort of set of mathematical skills and being able to apply them in a way that actually would make a difference. Um, and being able to go out and talk to people about that, explain what the numbers meant, um, was the bit of the role that really kind of drew me to it. And how did you feel? Obviously, you, you studied to PhD level, and then you're going into a profession that requires even more study. Was that a, a plus or a, or a minus? Um, I was quite focused, I would say. I, I kept, um, sort of, the, the thing that I kept in my head was the notes are there, so it's not just all on me. You know, it's, this isn't just about me going and doing the research and me doing the investigating. So I felt like the fact that it was a kind of structured exam process would be easier. Um, and I would have, you know, I would have a cohort of people that I was doing it with at the same time. There was support there through tutorials and all of the kind of learning materials. Um, I knew that I'd spoken to a few other actuaries by that point. I did I didn't go into it, you know, with any illusions that it was going to be easy, but I also held in the back of my mind that it wasn't going to be as difficult um, as as sort of a PhD qualification was, um, just by the very nature of that um, that study. 
And what was the reality? How did you find the exams once you got stuck into them? Um, I think probably like most people, I got to the point of, oh, this is really hard now. You know, a few years in, you're, I think at first you're super keen, you know, and I always, my advice to people is always like to, to really focus early on because you're, you know, you can't keep up that kind of level of pace, especially I guess as you progress in your role, you've got more responsibilities. So by the time that happens, you want to have the majority of the exams behind you. So you've not got that many left to go. Um, so, you, you know, I think once the end's in sight, you're so committed. By that point, there's there's no way you're stopping. Um, I found them generally okay. I did have, a, you know, like, like most people, I, I had the odd one that tripped me up first time round and went back, you know, went back and was able to get it. Um but yeah, qualified five years later, um, which felt I was ready for it at the time. I was ready to be done, um, but at the same time, it wasn't. Thankfully, wasn't you know years and years and years after that when you, you know you can really run out of steam for the the effort and the energy that you have to put into them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, do you remember your sort of first year or so in the job when you sort of? you know no going through no experience to being thrown into everything how was that yeah it it was good I really enjoyed it um I was lucky that we there was I guess it was a cohort of graduates we all quickly became really good friends um so we had that kind of sense of community um, and the teams of people that we worked in were all really welcoming um, I mean, it, it looked, the sort of job, I guess, looked quite different then than it, it did now. It, it was, you know, very much checking data and inputting into spreadsheets, doing calculations. But, it, I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I think you probably find, it takes a bit of time, I think, to find your way between the sort of work, balancing the work and the study. But I was just, I was really excited to be there. I was enjoying what I did. I was enjoying the people I worked with. Yeah, and I sort of quite quickly you realise you found your feet and you know what you're doing, um, and I think at that point, as soon as you feel useful, then it's like that's a really nice place to be. What were your motivations at that point? Was it all about the exams and getting qualified? Was it learning as much as possible in the job or anything else? Yeah, probably both, um, and I think that is probably the biggest challenge um, for actuarial students is you kind of you need the two things to keep pace with each other. Um, and I think if they get out of sync, it can be quite tricky um, because you're trying to do well in your exams and you're also trying to do well in the office. So you're learning that those two things at the same time. I definitely wasn't favouring one over the other. Um, I knew I wanted to get the exams done and get that, you know, kind of get them behind me. Um, but equally, I you know, also was keen to do a good job in the office, learn from the people around me, you know, I guess it's part of the sort of understanding the understanding the why when you start you're very much do this follow this um and then you quickly start to realize actually it's putting all the pieces of that puzzle together so it starts to make a bit more sense um so I definitely wasn't kind of favoring one over the other um it was just probably trying to balance the two at the same time get the exams passed and and be able to kind of progress in the office as well yeah. How long does it take, or how long did it take you to understand enough of those whys to really start to feel comfortable? Um, not that long, I think. Probably, I remember sort of feeling that maybe we, we started in the September. I would say by the Christmas, we were, you know, able to do enough that we were fairly self-sufficient and probably standard pieces of work. Mm-hmm. Um. And I remember somebody saying that to me, you know, after Christmas, you'll feel you'll feel much more confident. Um, and I think that was true. It didn't it, it didn't take that long to feel settled, um, which was lovely. And um, there was kind of lots of support about lots of people who had, you know, gone through the same experience, um, you know, the year before or two years before. Um, so there was a really nice community of people who were there to support you. And what was the progression like? Because obviously you're you're a partner now. How did you go from, I guess, just being a doer at the beginning through <laughs> to you know going going along that path? Um. So I guess the route to qualification is probably a fairly well trodden path in that you are you know you're doing the work, you check the work, you know a, a year or two years after that, and then 
you know, you sort of, I guess as you're getting closer to qualification, you're starting to think, oh, it's, you know, one day my name's going to be on this. And so, um, you know, and would I be comfortable with that? And so I think you kind of start asking yourself those kind of questions. So when you qualify, you know that you're ready to be there and um, kind of formally signing out advice. I guess post-qualification, generally on all of our clients, there's two actuaries. So somebody acting more in a support role and somebody acting more in that kind of fund actuary role. Um, and I guess the progression thereafter kind of qualification moves, um, you know, kind of through that. So starting off supporting another actuary until you become that named lead kind of actuary. Um, then we kind of probably tend to find that people have their own areas of focus um, so we'll do different things. Um, I was kind of not long after I qualified I was a team leader um, and for one of our public sector teams um, and at the time had been quite focused on being a client consultant and I actually found I really loved that aspect of my role as well. Um, and that probably took me down a path where I was doing not only the client stuff, but also um, had a kind of people focused role. Mm. Um, and I did that kind of role for probably about five years um, on and off thereafter, kind of following a couple of periods of um, maternity leave. So that kind of really helped me to broaden out, I guess, the role that I was doing. Um, and I realised that I actually really loved that aspect of my role. I still I still loved all of the client work, but I, I, I wanted to kind of have that kind of broader remit. Why was that? What do you enjoy about it? Um, I think it just, it feels quite, um, you feel like you're really making a difference. So you're not only influencing, I guess, the outcomes for your clients, you're also influencing the outcomes for the people you work with. Um, it's really, I guess, it's really rewarding when you see somebody do well, progress well. Um, you know, you see them have confidence in the skills that they have. Um, you know, I guess there's a value for Hyman's as a firm that you've got good people coming through. It's a really, um, really enjoyable thing to be part of that. Um, mm. So, and, and I guess just being able to kind of influence the culture that's one of the biggest strengths of um of working at Hyman's Robertson. The we have so many people who come to interview and they'll say, Oh, the people are really friendly and then they come to work and then they say, Oh, but they actually are still friendly. Like I thought <laughs> you just said that. Um <laughs> but it's a real thing, it's very true. Um genuinely people will say, Oh, it's the people that that makes the job um what it is. Yeah. Um. And so it's just, it's really, I just really love being part of that, um, and making sure that we 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 maintain that. It's so it's so important. We get the best from our people. Our clients get the best advice because it's coming from people who are really happy and fulfilled and are enjoying their day jobs. So, yeah, I, and I've kind of maintained. I guess I've maintained that element to my role, kind of as I've um, progressed through, um, and and. I, now I have the title of people leader within our public sector practice. Did you know you wanted to become a team leader or did the opportunity just come up and you, you thought you'd give it a go? Hi guys, we'll get straight back to the conversation in a second. Just a quick reminder that when I'm not recording podcasts, I specialise in helping pensions actuaries with their career moves and I'd love to help you when the time comes to explore your options. I work with people at all levels, whether you have a couple of years experience through to senior positions. My approach is different to most recruiters. I started my own business last year and work alone, which means I have zero pressure to hit targets and can just focus on giving the best possible help and advice. So whether you're thinking of making a move now or would just like to understand your options for the future, please get in touch via LinkedIn or email james at turnerperkins.com. Back to the show. Yeah, I know I didn't know. Um, but like, as you said, the opportunity came up. I was newly qualified kind of focused on doing a um you know being an actuary um I hadn't really had in my sights that that would be the kind of path I was going to take um and then as it turned out I really enjoyed it um so I'm, I'm glad that I took that opportunity um and quite often if I'm thinking about you know, if I, if I see other kind of um, newly qualifieds or newly qualifieds 
that's what I would always say to them is take those opportunities as they arise because you you, mm-hmm. you don't know until you've tried. You might find you actually really enjoy something. And then if you don't really enjoy something, then you know like you've got a bit more of an informed view um, about what it is you're doing. And I guess I'd done something similar moving from a kind of PhD background into actuarial consulting. By the time I'd finished my PhD, I absolutely knew that wasn't the right thing for me. So when I came in to do this type of role I felt much more confident that I was doing the right role um, so I was really glad that I had taken that opportunity um, when it arose and yeah it was it was a really good experience. Nice. So public sector I'd like to get a better understanding of what it actually is like to work in in that area. I feel like generally speaking I think people have an awareness of other things they can do or if someone's thinking about what shall I do next you know people are aware of risk transfer as a space people are aware of you know what it might be like to work in insurance or to specialize in private sector trustee or corporate consulting but public sector I just feel like I'd love to know what it's actually like and put a bit more information out there for for people to think about so could you tell us a bit more about the actual day job what is it like being in a public sector team what are the challenges what's the workload like just to give us a feel for that yeah so the I guess the benefit of what we're doing is we're dealing with the LGPS so the the local government pension scheme and so all of our clients have the same benefit structure which means that I guess the work we're doing we're able to we're effectively able to build systems and tools that support that benefit structure and we need that technology there to support that because all of those LGPS schemes um, around the country um, have hundreds of employers in them. Um, so when we're doing any work, um, we might be doing that work for the whole fund, but we might be doing that work for an employer in a fund, or we might be doing it for all of the employers in the fund at the same time. Um, so we're dealing with, with high volume requests but the circumstances of each of those funds or each of those employers will be different. So I guess a lot of what we're doing is, as actuaries is first of all understanding what that fund is trying to achieve. And um, so their own local circumstances. So the benefit structure might be the same, but the the officers at the fund will, will be different. They will have different pension committees that they're reporting to. Those pension committees are made up of elected members. And they'll have lots of different employers in their funds with very different aims. So they'll have local authorities in there. Um, they will have academy schools. They'll have education institutions. They can have people who have been cleaner and catering type contracts that have been um, where a local authority has outsourced a service. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of variety um, in, within each of those funds. And so a lot of the work we are doing is really dealing with the, you know the any work that that fund has to do for any of its employers whether that's a valuation um, it's an accounting exercise the employers joining or leaving the fund um, any kind of change in regulation that can happen um, so there's quite a lot of I guess variety um, in what we're doing um, and the and all of it I guess will be influenced by the kind of I guess the political landscape so What's in budget for local authorities? You know how much can they afford to pay for their pension contributions, um, and trying to support them to make sure that they are making really good decisions about the money that goes into the fund, but it's also not um, ultimately, you know, causing harm. They, you know they they've got to balance their own books too. Um, so it's it can be really interesting to understand, I guess, all of the dynamics at play um, at a local authority and try to, I guess, help those funds can navigate that that position. Um, yeah. I guess working in it by by its nature, a lot of our clients are doing the same thing at the same time. So it's definitely a really fast paced environment. We can get really high volume requests, um, particularly at um, sort of accounting year ends or all of our valuation dates are the same. We have a kind of really busy year once every three years, but we tend to find in those years, um, this kind of, I guess the feeling in the office is, there's always quite a bit of a buzz um, about the place because everyone's kind of really focused on the job at hand. Um, 
everyone's doing the same thing at the same times so you're again you're not you're not isolated you're you've got lots of support around you if you you know people to help and um, people kind of step in and support other colleagues if they if they need to um so it, yeah that's kind of the i guess the peak of our um of our busy period but actually it's always like one of the most exciting periods of um to be part of yeah so if we sort of look at different aspects of that it sounds as though there's so many different points of view you know, if, if if one scheme could have numerous employers that have got people that are part of it, if one thing happens, there's a communication challenge. How, how many different, on the consulting side, how many different relationships do you have to have? And how do you go around sort of balancing, understanding all those different points of view and bringing everything together? Yeah, so I guess our primary points of contact will be the individuals that work at each fund. Um, albeit there could be quite a lot of people there, so people who are responsible for the administration, people who are responsible for accounting, and the, um, also the investments as well. Um, so we tend to have most of our relationships with the, the officers there, um, but we will also regularly speak with the pension committee. Um, mm. So um, taking decisions to pensions committee for approval, um, you know, particularly round about funding strategy, um, th- sort of as we work through um, evaluation cycle, and um, we can also have relationships with the employers. So with the fund, we might speak with an employer to help them understand their own results, um, and we'll also interact with employers when it comes to their own accounting exercises. Um, so yeah. they will come to us to request that work um, and we kind of uh, liaise with them um, on that so um, it's quite uh there's a lot going on you know there's a lot of um like you said kind of individual relationships mm. um, and we're trying to kind of I guess you know each actually has a really good understanding of who their fund is and who the fund employers are within that fund um, and what you know can establish some um, kind of key relationships there. What we can sometimes find is, particularly when we come round to a formal valuation, that the you know we can have hundreds of schools, for example, in a fund. It won't typically be the same point of contact there. So we will do training sessions, um, kind of try to really help all of those individuals understand their own obligations to the LGPS. And I guess there's some um, skill involved in trying to communicate something that can be quite complex, something that, um, you know, sometimes people think can put pensions in the too hard box, trying to help them, you know, understand the benefit that the LGPS brings to their members um, and help them understand, you know, the impact of uh, decisions that they, you know, make in in relation to the LGPS. Um, And I guess that's really, I guess, a bit of the role that I was, you know, attracted to is just, you know, all of those kind of personal connections, helping them to understand, you know, what this scheme means for them. Yeah. And how, how much of your time or a consultant's time in your team is spent having those kind of conversations with people versus, you know, being stuck in the numbers? Oh, I would say, I guess it probably depends a little bit on level and role. The numbers bit is is probably the, the smaller bit of the role. Mm. Um. And the bigger bit is the taking the number and turning that into a piece of advice and the, I guess the communication of what that number means and, and helping your client understand that. Yeah, you might have to tailor that advice in lots of different ways to different audiences and to different employers. Yeah, it's never kind of the same, there's sort of never two circumstances the same. So you're always trying to kind of, you know, you might be able to you know reach the same number, but that, that client will have a different set of objectives or... Um, you know a, a different set of circumstances that you're trying to help them understand so um, and I guess the thing with the LGPS with it being an open scheme so I guess probably most people who are used to working in kind of pensions consulting will be dealing with closed schemes you know yeah. they might be having conversations about you know routes to buyout that's we're kind of at the opposite end of that so there's still new new members joining we're looking over the long term so you know we're you know projecting cash flows kind of 80 90 years into the future the fact that you're trying to build something that you can that will remain affordable for the long term um, and you're you're dealing with the new joiner aspect of that and all of the active members um, it means that you can you know you can have a long-term career in 
in this area um, because these schemes aren't going anywhere. They're, you know, they're backed by um, they're backed by central government. So yeah. um, it, it's nice to have that, um, I guess, that bit of certainty too that the, these schemes will be around. So what what sort of person does it suit? I mean, it sounds like, I mean, I'm, I'm not an actuary, so it's I'm, I'm keeping up as best I can, but it sounds like if you enjoy pensions consulting and you enjoy getting your head around pretty tricky, complex situations and having to tailor them to lots of different people and building lots of relationships, it sounds like something people should keep in mind if they, if they do want to do something a, a bit different. Um, does it suit people that love the consulting bit or can it be equally beneficial for people that are more technically minded? Yeah, it, all of those. I think we're really good at um, kind of suiting people's roles with the skills that they have. So we have um, some actuaries, for example, who are um, who are really, really strong technically um, and have a focus on the kind of development of the digital tools that we use. So kind of building, you know, tools that um, we can take out to help our clients. Um, that's worked really well for us because we've got people who actually understand what our clients need, the types of questions that they're asking um, and are able to kind of take the technical knowledge and apply it. Um, and we've also got people who have are really, I guess, really strong operationally, so have responsibility for making sure that we're able to deliver all of our advice really well um, within the timescales that a client needs them. Um, ultimately, that you know the, the the funds are ultimately trying to serve their employers, so it's really important that we're able to get our advice to them in a timely way. So they can get them back out to their um, their employers at their end. So, and um, we've also got actually who have a focus on that. Um, and then likewise, we also have a group of people who are really focused on the consultant aspect of the role. Um, yeah. Who are, you know who who love being out and about meeting their clients and um, you know really kind of I guess understanding how that whole LGPS marketplace looks. So yeah, we've we are I, I would say we're pretty good at suiting people's kind of strengths and skills and in, in the things, the areas that they really enjoy, um, like with the, the role that they carry out in the office. Yeah. So what's your role? I mean, what do you enjoy spending your time on the most? And yeah, what, what do you spend most of your time doing? Um, so my role's really varied in that I, sort of any two days won't be the same. Um, so I, I still advise um, currently four LGPS funds. Um, so I could spend my day doing kind of pieces of client advice. Um, but I also have responsibility for our people um, and um, all of our service delivery. Um, so I spend a lot of time um, working with people managers and um thinking about training and development of, of all of our people. So making sure that people are able to kind of progress and learn um, the pace that they need to. Um, I deal with all of our kind of, I guess, our internal operations. So it's, you know, making sure across all of the work we do, is it, are we able to deliver it in the time that we said that we were going to? Are the right people there to, um, you know, to do that work? So kind of, I guess, looking at, um, you know the kind of way in which we're structured and making sure we've got enough people there at the right time to do the work when the you know when the clients need us um need them to be there um yeah. and that could involve you know hiring new people or um trying to help individuals kind of move on to the next stage of their career um as well um and i also have responsibility for a kind of dei strategy um, and really kind of anything related to um, people um, tends to sit with me as well. So um, I also am part of our, our management team um, in the public sector business unit. And we also have a kind of wider leadership team. So thinking about the strategy of the work that we're doing and, you know, inputting into that. And is, is, is the whole team in Glasgow or is it spread across the country? Yeah, so uh, we're mostly in Glasgow. We've got a few people in Birmingham. Um, recently made the decision to try and establish a London-based team. To, we've got quite a lot of London-based clients. Um, we would like to kind of expand the team into other offices. How will you find it if you do start hiring people in London and you're not able to see them 
all the time. You you love the people side so much, but they'll yeah. <laughs> they'll be on the screen. Um, <laughs> quite um, a lot. I know. Um, we've had a little bit of experience of this with our kind of the people we've got in Birmingham, and I guess with the, so we, we currently work in a kind of flexible way. So typically, people are in the office two days a week, so we're quite used to seeing people on screen. Um, yeah. I think we will just be very mindful of getting other people down, um, down to if we get a team in London, you know, getting people down with them, getting our, you know, people up to Glasgow. Um, we host kind of monthly meetings where we get everyone in the office on the same day, and we quite often just run, you know, social events and just fun things to get everybody together. It's always everyone always kind of comments on the atmosphere in the office when we've got everybody in the office at the same time. And um, there's always a bit of a buzz in the air. So um, I'm not too worried about it because we're so used to working in a hybrid way anyway. Um, yeah. And we also know we've got a London-based um, kind of actuarial team anyway, focused in the private sector. So um, there's lots of people there, you know, that would that will also help. Um, so yeah, yeah, it definitely feels a little bit different from being kind of um, always Glasgow based, but um, it feels quite exciting to think about expanding that out and, and what that might bring. Mm. What do you do when you're not being an actuary? Uh, look after two young children, pretty <laughs> much. <laughs> How old are they? Uh, they are six and nine. Okay. Um, so they are at the stage where there's lots of clubs um, lots of uh, friends they want to see um, so yeah pretty much uh, to be honest like weekends are, are really just all about family life yeah ours are well the youngest turns four next week and the oldest is well he was five in September so they're quite close to each other which is handy it's... because they have the same friends and they do the same things but yeah I know what you mean there's no other than when they're in bed, there's there's no, yeah. not much time for yourself. It's all about just keeping them busy yeah. and happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that must have been a busy couple of years when they were small. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was quite tough. But actually, when when we had the first one, this was pre-COVID, so in the mornings he might just about wake up while I was having a shower and ironing a shirt and then I'd be out of the house and I'd get back at sort of half eight and he'd be asleep again. Um, so I only really got to see him at the weekends. And then the second one was born uh, in February of, of COVID year. So it was completely different and, you know, had so much more more time with him. Um, so it kind of, yeah, it was busy, but actually it was quite nice to be there the second time round and, and that sort of thing. But yeah, I'll cut that out because it's not supposed yeah. to be not supposed <laughs> to be about me. I'm sure no one no one needs yeah, to hear that. That's but, right. Um, no, I know it's um, it's definitely a lot. I um I've probably been quite fortunate since I had my first. I've worked part time, so and I've kind of changed hours about over the years to kind hmm. of suit you know childcare requirements. But it's always been really nice. Um, I guess it was really nice for me to feel like I was able to have that time at home sort of during the week be you know be a mum but it didn't you know I was still able to be doing my job and you know I was still kind of progressing in my role through that time um, and maybe that kind of let me go back to the sort of best job you'll ever have that that's part of it too I guess is allowing people to kind of flex what it is they're doing in line with their family circumstances we all know that it's you know it's a massive change in your life um, having a family and it could be many other circumstances that lead to people having you know huge life changes you kind mm. of need your employer to to support you with that um when i um i had my first child she was born really prematurely um and i had it was it was almost my all, all my work colleagues were amongst the first people at the hospital um to visit um, and we got, we got huge amounts of uh, support from the firm um, at that time. So that, you know, that was always really appreciated because you, yeah. you don't want to go through a kind of a fairly traumatic experience in your life and be worrying about your work at the same time. Yeah, yeah. No, that's really, really good. Yeah, I, occasionally, I, I mean, I spoke to someone quite recently who felt like by going on maternity leave, they came back and some of the momentum in terms of their next promotion and opportunities that were going to open up had had been lost and it's not to say that those things won't come but they're feeling a little bit put out by it how, how do you sort of deal with that how do you support people that are coming back to work um I think it's about sharing your own experiences of that I think there's a balance between the kind of recognition of 
it's not easy and straightforward. You know, you've you've come back with this whole, uh, you know, this whole other set of skills that you've learned. Um, and so there's a, a, I think there's a balance to be found with each individual in terms of what, at that point in time, they what do they want to do? Where is their area of focus? And trying to kind of, I guess, match up roles with that. Um, and it's definitely not a kind of one size fits all. You could have somebody who is, you know, absolutely keen to, you know, not slow down their career progression in any way. Um, and that's great. And you could equally have somebody who's like, I need to just pause where I am for a couple of years and then I'll pick it back up again. Um, and that, you know, that also can work. So I think it's just really about those open frank conversations about what it is you want what you know what you're able to commit at that time um and that you know allowing people you know that space to to have that focus you know with with your family you don't you don't get that time back um you know it is a it's a period of time that is you know it's time limited in a sense um and you know working with and it's the mums and the dads um, you know, the dads are probably coming back to work sleep deprived, you know, missing a child at home. It's recognising that from both perspectives, that it's a huge life event and having lots of people around who have recently done the same thing and, and then been able to kind of share their experiences. Did you know what you wanted when you were in that situation? I guess it's quite hard to actually focus and think about what you want. Yeah, um, I knew that I wanted to still be able to make a contribution in the office um I what worked really well for me was so I was working four days and my husband also went to four days um and that I felt really helped me to be able to balance my what I needed to be able to do so sometimes that was traveling to a client um or you know work a little bit late or you know whatever it was that was needing to happen I guess we had the flexibility in our home setup that allowed that to be the case Mm. um the big thing that I probably I think can be hard as you get that phone call from the nursery to say they're sick and somebody needs to go um and and for us the default wasn't that that was me it was very much all right who's got what in their diary today and who can make this happen um, and so we were kind of able to balance it from that sense so I very much knew that I didn't want to sort of um, I didn't want to stagnate um, I still felt like I had value to add I knew my sort of I guess my my, the, my ability to give time was a bit limited um, but I still felt like in the sort of four days I was there I was you know I was there enough of the time to be able to make a contribution um, so I yeah, I'm not saying it was always straightforward to navigate, but I, I, I didn't have maybe some of the experiences I've, I've, you know, I've kind of heard of, you know, friends and, and things, you know, returning back into the workplace. I generally felt quite positive about my return. And um, I guess that's also why I've ended up kind of doing the Working Parents Network, because I'm quite keen that that's other people's experiences too. Yeah. Are you on a four-day week now? Are you still working four days? Or? I work 90%, so... Two, three long days and two shorter days, um, just to kind of um balance childcare responsibilities as well. And yeah. that again, that, that feel like that works for me. How do you manage that? Because I think the other thing that comes up sometimes is people either they've tried it or they're they're reluctant to try it because they're not convinced that they can make a shorter week work. They think they'll sign up to ninety percent, eighty percent, but then they'll do the extra hours when work comes in and they'll end up almost working five days but just being paid for less kind of thing I think that's a it's a concern and people fall, can fall into that trap how do you manage it how do you make sure you're doing what you should do so I think you just are a bit more disciplined with your time um and so if something falls outside of working hours um, I've got a bit more flexibility now I guess if something falls outside working hours I can you know there's there's sometimes I could dial in sometimes I can't and I'm I don't feel any guilt about that you know that's um, if that's my non-working time then if I can make it work I will but if I can't then that's okay Um, I think you just become quite I think quite focused about what it is you're trying to do in that time Um, 
and I also probably recognise that for people who work full time, they don't they probably work a little bit more than that. Um, and so if I work a little bit more than my ninety percent, that's also okay. Um, you know, I'm as long as I'm I'm getting my job done. So, um, it's a little bit about I think there's something about your kind of mindset when you go into it and feeling being able to kind of carve out your time. Um, and that's really a question of when you will, um, when you'll make yourself available, I guess, for work, and when you when you won't. Um, and I think ultimately you kind of reap the benefits of that of t- of having that time where you are focused on something else. Because I think you come, you know, you come back to work a little bit fresher. Um, you've got a bit of you've just got a different perspective, I think, on the work that you're doing. Um, because you've you've you're you're trying to focus on different things at the same time. So I think you can kind of, I guess, harness that for a into a positive experience. Um, I definitely came back after my first maternity leave feeling quite confident in myself. I thought, you know, I can look after a baby for a year. Like, I can definitely do this job. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's just, I think, kind of in rec- like recognising that you're um, also sometimes the benefits of your child not being with you all of the time as well like I found that quite positive I remember sort of dropping my son for his first week at nursery and um, they had built a volcano that day and I thought well we wouldn't have been building volcanoes at home like we would have been doing jobs and out doing the shopping and so kind of recognizing I guess that if I'm able to do you know if I'm happy at work and I'm doing a good job and then I'm going to come home and be happier and my fa- all my family will, will get the benefit of that too so yeah just I think it's a it's just a mindset thing a feeling you know kind of going into it feeling like it's a positive set of circumstances and then trying to make the most of that yeah brilliant we talked about your motivations in in the early days getting qualified learning as much as you can what about now I think you've been a partner for what, a year something just like about that a year yeah yeah what are your goals what keeps you going and what are you hoping to achieve as a partner yeah, I think um, I guess the really nice thing about being a partner is feeling part of that wider partner community. Um, so the partners quite regularly get together and are thinking quite nice, I guess, to kind of get away from the day job and be thinking about that bigger picture. Um, and really the, the aim of the, the firm and the partnership is about sustainability and, you know, so really making sure that we're building a firm that's around for the long term and that people that work with us have long sustained really happy careers and we have a kind of aim to make sure it's the best job you'll ever have and and I think we do try to live that in what we do. How do you do that? Um, I think it's a a variety of things I think it's about the work that you do so you're actually enjoying the day job Um, we, we have had a project kind of ongoing for a while to just really look at I guess like trying to make the the parts of somebody's job that could be, you know, that could be easier is trying to make them easier. Um, so there's no kind of, there's no frustrations with technology or that system doesn't do what I want it to do. Kind of trying to solve those kind of problems so that actually people are enjoying their job um, and that they are spending their time on the bits of the job that add value. Um, I guess the other bit of it for me is that people can see their path. They can see their future. Um, there's people like them who you know have been you know recently promoted or you know have taken a similar path to them and so um, it doesn't feel like that's something that somebody else does you actually can see your own path to progression and you feel that you belong in that so um, I guess we put a lot of focus thinking about um, what each individual's role is in the, the overall contribution to what, what it is we're trying to achieve and I guess recognising all of those little contributions um, and I guess it's just being supported by um, first of all yeah, I guess people you like um, you know you're working you know you, you work with people you enjoy working with but also who challenge you who are who, who can see your potential who want you to succeed um, and they're championing your their own development um, so I think there's lots of aspects to it I guess there's also there's lots of things that run um, with the firm round about, you know, well-being and um, there's, you know, lots of activity in the DEI space. There's, you know, lots of learning going on there and lots of conversations about what could we do better and what do we all need to understand and what do we need to adapt. Um, 
so I think we're working really hard on really making sure that 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 we kind of we live those values that that that's a that's a real life lived experience for the, the people that work with us um, and I guess it's been a part of the partner community I guess it gives an opportunity to um, to influence some of that um, and, and lead by example. What are you doing around DE&I? What are the what are the aims there? Yeah, so there's lots of um, lots of internal network groups who each have a, an area of focus. I um, have responsibility for our working parents network, so we run lots of sessions on, um, diff- you know, just different areas that might be relevant to parents, um, and we also run just general kind of drop-in groups, and um, for people to come along and say. Oh, I've got, you know, I'm struggling with this issue, you know, whatever that may be. And we generally find, you know, someone else is like, oh, I, that happened to me. And um, just that support of, you know, I recognise this, you know, the position you find yourself in. And, you know, here's, here, this this was my experience of it. Yeah. Um, so lots of conversations. Um, we bring in lots of different external speakers um, to talk about um different topics I attended a really good training session a few weeks ago on neurodiversity um, which has really made us think about our you know how we conduct meetings and just about I think it's just really about asking the right questions is this and we're getting the best out of everybody and, and do people feel that they're able to say what their own needs are in a in a specific set of circumstances so we're you know we're able to help and adapt to um to people's own um needs um, and then we've also got more, I guess, probably more practical examples, like um, we've got links in with the Black Professional Scotland Network, um, and we run internships um, for people who are associated with that network to come and work with us. Um, lots of different, um, you know, different groups, I guess, meeting with other groups, um, you know, either internal or external, just to really kind of try and share those those stories and people's lived experiences and, and try to allow us, I guess, to bring them into the workplace and understand, you know, what, what does that mean for us and are, are, are we doing this right or do we need to do things differently? What's kept you, I think your answer will be the people, but apart from people, <laughs> what else has kept you in one company for, for such a long period of time? Um, I've just, I've always enjoyed the work that I've been doing. Um. I've never got bored. There's always something new to come. There's, you know, it might be that the, the, you know, the business unit is doing something new or the actual kind of client landscape has changed. There's always quite a lot of buzz and excitement around. It's, I guess, as a business unit, we're always talking about what can we do next and what can we do better and are our clients' needs changing and how do we respond to that? So it's not, I've never gone through a period where it's felt static. There's there's always something new to be doing. So, um, yeah, like you say, uh, uh, the people are a huge part of that. That's what makes it so enjoyable. But actually, you couldn't, you know, you couldn't do that if you actually weren't also enjoying the, the, the work that you were doing at the end of the day. Um, and I guess for me, there's always been, I've always felt like I could, I can do something more. I can, I can see my own path, I guess, the progression, how I can grow and develop. And I've never really lost sight of that. So I, you know, I've been I've been really fortunate that I've I've always really enjoyed what I've been doing, and I, I guess I've been able to kind of progress, um, you know, right through to being appointed partner. What advice would you give to someone who's just starting their career in pensions now? I would say, um, sort of, I guess, ask lots of questions, so understand what's going on, why you're doing what you're doing, um and take any opportunities as they arise so don't hold yourself back don't be scared um try new things um you know don't be scared to kind of take the next step or or, you know take a sideways step and do something a little bit different um you'll always kind of learn something from those experiences so yeah try to say yes to as many things as you can Cool. So I'm interested. I'm not sure what your answer will be on this because you've said you're working on open schemes. So this isn't so much of a as a concern, maybe. But what what's your view on the future of work for pensions actuaries? How does the market evolve, and what will pensions actuaries be doing in five, ten, fifteen years' time? Um, I would imagine so. I guess I mentioned our digital team, and a lot of um, 
I would imagine in 15 years' time, a lot of what I would have done as a new graduate, you know, the putting numbers into spreadsheets and checking data, um, I would imagine that we will, all of that stuff will be automated in some way. And actually some of those skills might be applied and, you know, updating and maintaining those kind of tools and developing new tools. Um, thinking about the public sector landscape, it can be really hard to know what's on the horizon because it's ultimately influenced by central government. Um, but we know that these schemes have, they're providing a huge benefit to an enormous number of people across the UK. And that will evolve with, you know, whatever happens in the economic landscape. And so I guess for us, it's about thinking, it's, I guess making sure we're prepared for any eventuality um, and that we're able to respond to that. And, and we have been able to do that. There's been, you know, sort of scheme changes and other pieces of regulation that have changed the kind of way in which we give advice or the, you know, the circumstances for um, employers in our funds. Um, so, it's, yeah, it's very hard to say, I guess, for and LGPS actually what 15 years time looks like because it, it will it will evolve with the the way in which the I guess the government and the economy evolves mm. okay and my final question is what are you looking forward to in the next 12 months and that could be work related personal or one of each um i um i guess it's kind of really playing my part in our kind of public sector leadership team um uh, feeling, I guess, as a fairly newly appointed partner last year, that takes a bit of time to kind of, I guess, settle in and feel you've got your, your place and your value to add in that role. Um, I guess kind of being a year in, I'm looking forward to just feeling comfortable in that and actually being able to, I guess, be responsible for all the things that, we're, that we, we really want to achieve within our business unit. Um, there's never a quiet moment. There's always a, there's something else we want to do more or um you know in a better way um, and we've always got quite big plans so um yeah it'll just be really playing my part in in all of those brilliant well um I will ask one more question if if people have, have been listening to this and they're intrigued by uh the work you do and all the nice things you said about your team are you happy for them to get in touch and, and what's the best way for them to do so of course yeah the best way to get in touch is you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, Julie West on there or um, directly by email julie.west at timons.co.uk. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your for your time, Julie. I, I generally was looking forward to learning more about the public sector team. I, I think it's, you know, constantly speaking to people that want ideas of what they can do that's a bit different. And I think it does get overlooked. And some of the things you've said I think it's got a lot to offer and it's definitely something people should think about. Now, this isn't a recruitment podcast, but it's there are bits in there that sort of sounded a little bit like it, but that's fine. I, you know, there are no rules. And yeah, please do get in touch with Julie if um, if you'd like to find out more. So yeah, thank you so much for your time and uh, I wish you all the best. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Actuarial People. Please don't forget to subscribe and consider leaving a review. If you have any questions or feedback or any suggestions for future guests, please contact me on info at actuarialpeople.com. This podcast is sponsored by my recruitment company, Turner Perkins, and you can contact me there at james.turner at turnerperkins.com. Hope to see you again.